All right, hello. Uh, welcome to Adventures Among Ideas. Today I'm doing going to do something a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to juxtapose two stories about boys and their mothers responding to bullying. I've known these two stories for kind of a long time, and I think about them once in a while, especially being the father of a boy. Um, but I don't know exactly what lessons to draw from them, so I'm just going to read the through stories, work through some elements in them, and yeah, so I'll, I'll try to make a few comments about them. But the two stories, so the first story comes from the autobiography of James Feebleman, a book called The Way of a Man. Uh, Feebleman was a philosopher and a writer, taught at Tulane University for many years. The story I want to focus on that he tells takes place in New Orleans, Louisiana, around 1916. Feebleman, as he says, was around 12 years old when the events took place. The story begins with Feebleman, uh, the Feebleman family, moving to a um, a new part of new a new neighborhood in New Orleans. So here's the story. Feebleman writes, "Mother was a very understanding woman." She did not want a bully, but she definitely did not want a coward either. A few years later, we moved to a new neighborhood. Father had been promoted in the department store to the position of junior partner. He had magnificent mustaches, which turned down around his mouth. He had a wonderfully clear face and great dignity. He was really a strong, silent man. We had moved because he had bought some ground and had ordered a house of our own to be built on it. In the new neighborhood, I acquired friends, but the old difficulty of bullying, he had experienced some of this before, the old difficulty soon made itself evident. Across the street, in a half house, lived a boy of my own age with whom I played. I must have been about twelve. He became angry with me once and punched me in the chest. It hurt and I began to cry and ran home to my mother. She was sympathetic until she found out what had happened. Then she gave me a whipping with a hairbrush. The next time, maybe you will fight your own fights, she said when it was over. I had definite reservations about that, until the next time. It was the same boy again, and we had gotten into an argument on his front porch, which could not have been more than three steps from the ground. He hit me, and I hit him back, thinking mostly about that hairbrush. I was surprised to notice how easy the whole thing became. But I had also noticed that I was fighting with my backs to the steps. That was certainly a disadvantage, and we sparred around until I could work my, back, uh, work my way to the door. Then, when I had him with his back to the steps, I gathered up all my strength and gave one hard jab. The boy went backward down the steps onto the grass. He was not hurt, but he was very much surprised. The fighting stopped then, and we got to be the best of friends. I liked him, and I think he liked me, but it was a new sort of liking, based on respect. The entire situation changed, and I was pleased with it. Alright, so that's the first story. And Feebleman, under the instruction of his mother, as we saw, fights back against his bully and gains the bully's respect, the boy's respect. The next story that I will mention comes from an essay by the feminist writer and activist Audre Lorde. The essay it comes from is called Man-Child, um, A Black Lesbian Feminist's Response, and it was first published in 1979. 
The events, uh, I think, would have taken place around 1973 in New York City, probably Staten Island, where I think she was living at this time. Um, the story, interestingly, also begins with the family moving to a new part of the city. So Lord writes, When Jonathan, her son, was eight years old and in the third grade, we moved, and he went to a new school where his life was hellish as a new, a new boy on the block. He did not like to play rough games. He did not like to fight. He did not like to stone dogs. And all this marked him early on as an easy target. When he came in crying one afternoon, I heard from Beth, his older sister, how the corner bullies were making Jonathan wipe their shoes on the way home whenever Beth wasn't there to fight them off. And when I heard that the ringleader was a little boy in Jonathan's class, his own size, an interesting and very disturbing thing happened to me. My fury at my long-ago impotence and my present pain at his suffering made me start to forget all that I knew about violence and fear and blaming the victim. I started to hiss at the weeping child. The next time you come in here crying and suddenly caught myself in horror. This is the way we allow the destruction of our sons to begin. In the name of protection and to ease our own pain, my son get beaten up. I was about to demand that he buy that first lesson in the corruption of power that might makes right. I could hear myself beginning to perpetuate the age-old distortions about what strength and bravery really are. And no, Jonathan didn't have to fight if he didn't want to, but somehow he did have to feel better about not fighting. An old horror rolled over me of being the fat kid who ran away terrified of getting her glasses broken. About that time, a very wise woman said to me, Have you ever told Jonathan that once you used to be afraid too? The idea seemed far out to me at the time, but the next time he came in crying and sweaty from having run away again, I could see that he felt shamed at having failed me, or some image he and I had created in his head of mother-slash-woman. This image of women being able to handle it all was bolstered by the fact that he lived in a household with three strong women, his lesbian parent and his forthright older sister. At home for Jonathan, power was clearly female. And because our society teaches us to think in an either-or mode, kill or be killed, dominate or be dominated, this meant that he must either surpass or be lacking. I could see the implications of this line of thought. Consider the two Western classic myth models of mother-son relationships. Jocasta, Oedipus, the son who fucks his mother, and Clytemnestra, Orestes, the son who kills his mother. It all felt connected to me. I sat down in the hallway on the hallway steps and took Jonathan on my lap and wiped his tears. Did I ever tell you about how I used to be afraid when I was your age? I will never forget the look on that little boy's face as I told him the tale of my glasses and my after-school fights. It was a look of relief and total disbelief all rolled into one. It is hard for our children to believe that we are not omnipotent, as it is for us to know it as parents. But that knowledge is necessary as the first step in the reassessment of power as something other than might, age, privilege, or the lack of fear. It is an important step for a boy whose societal destruction begins when he is forced to believe that he can only be strong if he doesn't feel, or if he wins. So, Lord takes an opposite tactic 
to Feebleman's mother. She resists instructing her son to fight back and instead reveals her own vulnerability. The question I've often wondered, ab wondered about is, which mother was right? James Feebleman's mother or Audrey Lord? I think different people will give different answers to this question depending on their position and experience in the world. And uh, if you interpret these stories through the lens of the modern contemporary uh, culture wars, some people will want to say that Feebleman's mother is perpetuating toxic masculinity, or that Lord is perpetuating the feminization of men. Uh, for my part, I don't think these simple kinds of judgments are appropriate. Personally, I find it quite difficult, quite even impossible to judge either mother. I can see the rationality behind each of their uh, responses. Feebleman's mother wants her son to be able to take care of, uh, to take care of himself in the outside world. Lord wants her son to be able to manage his inner world. These are both important lessons to learn. And although the stories have similar elements, we have to keep in mind that they take place in radically different contexts. New York in 1973 is not New Orleans in 1916. What's right for one person in one place in time is not necessarily right for another person in another place in time. In my view, most people most of the time are just doing the best they can with the hand they've been dealt. It's been my argument in other places that our, our moral intuitions, our feelings about what is right and wrong aren't universal, but emerge from some deeper social, social conditions which we're not usually conscious of. Feebleman and Lord are obviously trying to instruct us in their writings. Um, the readers, they're trying to instruct their readers, and especially Lord, it's clear, is trying to give some instruction on this topic. But I wouldn't really want to draw any universal lesson from either of their stories. Uh, for what it's worth, Feebleman grew up into a peaceful and productive member of society, and as far as I can tell from the little I know about him, um, so did Lord's son. And we don't need to suppose that Lord's son grew into a wimp afraid of physical confrontation, because later in the story we see him practicing Taekwondo. These two stories um, struck me originally because of their parallels, but pondering them over time has led me to wonder more about their differences, the differences between the personalities and the lives of the mothers, the differences between the personalities and the lives of the sons, and the various, of course, the differences between the various uh, circumstances. It has also led me to wonder about those small moments that make up a life, some of which are long remembered, some of which are long forgotten, but all of which go into some complex mix that make us what we are. Feebleman long remembered his mother's response to his bullying, but did it really make a long-term difference in his life? Lord long remembered her own response to the bullying of her son, but did this response make a long-term difference in his life? Which mother was right? We're both right. I don't know how to answer these questions, so I'll have to uh, leave you here with some uncertainty. I don't think we can really give certain answers to what happened in individual cases. Um, so I'll have to, I'll leave it here for today. But thanks as always for listening and bye for now. <laughs>